the thing for me with a guy like that, or even with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I mean, it's definitely it's sad, you know, that they passed. But I have a, I really have a hard time, you know, lamenting for too long someone who just kicks so much ass in their life. Like I'm worried about yeah. people like me who aren't fucking getting anything done. It's like, what if I die? Like people should be upset. These yeah, folks just crushed they were, it. You know, 75 and 87, so just long, yeah. super, super productive lives. I mean, how that, much ass can you kick? How, you, you couldn't have done anything else. You couldn't have done anything it's a bummer, but it's like a great football game that has to end or a great movie that's like, got to end. Well, it, and it's also a bummer for both of them because, as I mentioned earlier, Toots passed away during COVID, so no, it just gets a passing notice when it He wasn't super be. big, though, honestly. I don't think he was like... True, fair. But, yeah, and, I'm, I'm and, sure and, most people would be like, who? Yeah. Who, well, and then for, for Justice Ginsburg, Ginsburg, it's basically, whereas it should be a, this giant celebration, it's going to immediately go to a political thing and, you know... That unfortunately, yeah, that's sad that. that that was the first thought that anyone really had. Like, oh fuck. Yeah. Well, but to be fair, to be fair. <laughs> well, unless you're a, tr- uh, you know, support the GOP, and then you're like, right. <laughs> but my thing is, it, it is it is okay to like think first about well, what 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 do we do now? Because I mean, that was her role, and she saw that role as very important, and she, that would be what she would want us to be thinking about. I mean, she's like, yeah. you know, feel you know, feel bad and stuff, but like, don't let she go crazy. Like she clearly kept her eyes on the prize. Shit is going crazy. And on that note, you are listening to Podgate Rock and Roll too. <laughs> this shit's about to go crazy right here. This shit's about to get real crazy. <laughs> um <laughs> Hey, put that knife away. Hold on, hold on. The song this week. <laughs> let's let's that, get there. Let's get there. Hell bottom blues. <laughs> by Derek and the Domino. Marsh selection. So Neil, you get to let us know why we're talking about this song. Well, uh, when we started this conversation, like exactly what Jonathan, you were talking about is why this song and this album is so good. It's a person in pain, just writing these songs and pouring his heart out. If I had to choose a favorite album of all time, it would be this. I discovered it when I was like 18. I just started playing guitar and I've basically used this album is like a touchstone for myself on how I want to sound as a guitar player for the last 20 years. On this song specifically, just the the riffs and the composition, and it's one of the saddest songs that always puts a smile on my face because I just love the way it sounds. You know, it's such torture the whole song. I know a couple of weeks ago we were talking about how when you're going through tough times. For me, I said that there are songs that I go to when I'm depressed or like feeling down. Especially after a breakup. And this this would have been the perfect answer to that question. Like, this is a song that I go to often. Well, often. <laughs> every, I, okay, this is one of my favorite songs that I don't like to listen to all the time. Because it's so sad. Because it's such a... If you had in the dictionary under regret and then like a subcategory of relationship regret, they should just play the song. And that's what you're going to get. I almost can't allow myself to listen to it when I'm sad because I don't, I'm afraid of what will happen because it's so desperate. I kind of take it for its beauty as a song. It's just, it sounds so magical. It's, it has such a, an amazing sound. And I feel like if I did listen to it after a breakup, I, I would be worried for my, my health. <laughs> yeah. Because um... it's that, it's that packed with emotion. 
Yeah, it's funny. I think I've just heard this song like so long, like from such a young age. I never listened to it almost like for the emotional message as much as just like it's just great music. And I just get so wrapped up in all the guitar parts and so and and how extremely, extraordinarily well rather it, it's written. But it's it's one of those tunes where, I think I just hear it as a whole thing, and so like it never. It never quite affected me that way, not because it's not great, but just because, like, I heard it at such a young age that you just kind of hear it and you're like, oh, this is such great music that I don't even, like, almost dive into it. Yeah, it's just, it's the pain put, it's so polished that it's just his pain. That's what I'm saying. So, it, it, it's so painful and so sad, and, and I get what you're saying, Jonathan. It is one of those, it, it was played on classic rock radio, but it's so, like, as I've gotten older and kind of approached it a different way, or stopped hearing it on classic rock radio all the time, it's so painful and sad, I can't listen to it sober, because then it makes me want to go to that place where I want to have like three cigarettes in a row and a couple of glasses of whiskey and just reflect on what I did wrong. But you're in that place all the time. Like, I don't know. It's, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not a fucking foreign place to you. Like, that's some place you I like. To I like to be there. Out. I mean, my, I, tell you, I tell you a good, uh, a, good, a good regret song, not to digress, but... um. Promises by Randy Travis. That, that's a listen to that one sometime. That's a brutal <laughs> one. That's like I made promises and I'm just, that's a well, brutal one. You know what I compare this to is it, this is up there on that list of breakup songs of like don't think twice. Mm-hmm. This is a little bit more resentful and less hopeful because I think don't think twice has a little bit of screw off. Like actually, it's not even well, hopeful. No, it's no, more it's of just not. like screw off. Like I'm out. Like I'm and gonna this, I'm gonna be this, fine. Whereas this is like I'm not gonna be fine. I'm going to die. Yeah. Well, yeah, and just, like, Clapton is so vulnerable and desperate on this song. Like, he's just trying and every trick in the book. He's, if I could choose a place to die, it would be in your arms. I don't want to fade away. I'll just take one more day. Can I just, just one more day, please. And, like, cr- I'll crawl across the floor. And then at the end, he's, like, he's even threatening her. If we meet again, don't, don't be surprised if you find me with another lover. Like, just every trick in the book. I would do anything. It reminds me of uh, Bill Murray on What About Bob, where he's like, gimme, gimme, gimme. I need, I need, I need. And I'm not going to lie, though. I think, and this definitely factors in, because now, Don't Think Twice It's Alright, I heard more in high school when I was more, I didn't, I hadn't heard it just as like this iconic song. So that one definitely gets under my guard a little more. But I will say that, the fact that Clapton kind of goes from one fucking smoking hot chick to another and has for decades takes a little bit of that sting out for me just because I know like two weeks later he's <laughs> with some other model. And I'm not saying that, that that really affects how great the song is, but that definitely kind of, I'm like, well, you're going to be fine here. I want to di- dive into to the lyrics here because I think Lyrically, this song is very, very impressive. It really sums up some inner psyche shit that happens when you get out of a relationship, especially if you're at fault. And now, Neil, you referenced the line, uh, I'm sure we're going to meet again, and if we do, don't be surprised. If you find me with another, I mean, that's him thinking about seeing her again. Like, the next time I see her, I'm going to be with somebody else. Come on, tell me you haven't thought about, after a relationship, thought about oh, yeah. like the next time you're gonna see the girl and like man as time passes like when you're really in that state of like i'm gonna be with somebody else that'll show her no doubt mm-hmm. but the fact that he's singing to his best friend's fucking wife it takes a little bit of the sting out for him because it's no. not even his wife it's not even his fucking wife imagine this motherfucker singing it to your wife and tell me you feel bad for him i'm thinking of it as 
This is just this is just me talking. This is me saying, yeah. Not Eric Clapton in the situation like Layla and all. Really, this whole fucking album does that with uh, Patty <laughs> right, Boyd. Patty Boyd, right? But but this, I'm just thinking about this song from my perspective. Whether he was talking about George Harrison's wife or not, or what his intentions were, you can tell he's in such pain. He had to write this song. He had to write this album. Like the album's, you can tell like it's so therapeutic. This song and the album is filled with just amazing blues guitar, lyrics, everything, but it's it, it, it's not blues for rock guitar. It, it's p- blues that had to be played to let it out. Yeah, and totally. And, and once again, and I'm certainly not saying these things to diminish your experience of it. For me, it's just more like, I knew all these things as I've known the song, so I kind of weigh all these things. I hear all this whole song through that filter, and I'm kind of like, yeah, Eric, you're fucking wanting her, and then you got her, and then you didn't keep her, and then it's 20 chicks later, whatever. But but that's also a universal feeling. You want what you can't have. Sure, that's there. But just in terms of a lyric, going to... If I could choose a place to die, it would be in your arms. It is so good and beautiful. Yeah. And when you first get out of a, when you're in that state of getting out of a relationship where all you can think about is what you did wrong and how much you want to be back in that situation, that sums it up so well. I'm being a little devil's advocate here because once again, I'm not taken away from the song, but it's like he was. If he was in her arms, it's because they hooked up one night. Like, they weren't in a long-term relationship. This is someone else's. So here's the thing. My point is this. When you don't have a relationship, he's kind of being a little scoundrelish here, just throwing everything at the fucking wall and see what sticks because he ain't got nothing to lose. It's a little devious, I feel like, frankly. He didn't end up marrying her for another nine years. And it's not, it's a love song about serious pain, but it's not about a it's a love story and just wrapped in the pain of wanting this woman. It has nothing to do with an actual relationship, I don't think. Yes. Uh, or, or the woman he's actually in love with at the time he's writing this. But for me, in my interpretation, when I heard this song growing up, I did not, like you, Jonathan, I didn't know the story of Eric Clapton and Patty Boyd and George Harrison. Like, I just heard this song as, this is the most anguished pain I have ever heard in a song. Of, well... There's a couple blues songs that would be more anguish pain, but this is take away all the context of who wrote it and what it's actually about, and it's it's so simplistic. And I think lyrically, when you can pull off simplistic lyrics to convey a universal feeling that everyone's been through, then this song is kudos, Eric Clapton and Bobby Whitlock. I think another thing that takes some of the sting out for me, where once again. Not debating how good it is, because obviously it's great. But like, it, this song was never like one of those gut-wrenching pain songs to me. It was just always a great song. But it was never a... Is honestly, and it's kind of my only criticism of the song, the words Bell Bottom Blues don't really mean shit to me. That, that's not... A, and I, I'm not putting them down or nothing. I'm just saying like, that takes some of the sting out versus other songs where they're more... Where they just articulate it differently. Because that, that's always been my only criticism of this. He's saying like Bell Bottom Blues, like it's a... To me, that's the only non-universal part of the song. Yeah, I had that written down. Like, the title is ridiculous, but the song is so good that it, it, it goes beyond that. And it makes it makes those ridiculous words sound so beautiful. Because when you think about it, bell-bottom blues, like, you got jeans. Are you talking about jeans? Um, what I read was, basically, she, when she was still married to George Harrison, she asked him to buy a pair of bell-bottom jeans for her while he was in America, which is the only part of the song that's not universal, and which makes it, 
not timeless because it dates the song. And to transition a little bit into the music. I would also, the music is so good, but also so 70s. And it's also such a forerunner to, and I may be speaking more of the album and certain songs in the album here, but such a forerunner to what he was going to do for the next 20 years. I mean, this is so Clapton moving past a certain point in his career to finding like this new niche for blues. I, I, I think Layla and Other Love Songs, the best thing Clapton's ever done, more so than Cream, more so than John Mayall, more so than even his solo work. I think this is the best thing he ever did. But there's a lot of songs in this album that kind of show you where he's going for the next 20 years. And it really defines blues rock in terms of what you're going to hear in the 80s and into the early 90s. This is like the opening seeds of this. It never really got that 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 good, that as good as this. This is so early 70s i feel like when i hear these this guitar the tone just the it's kind of cranked up the urgency is very coked up i want to say yeah well i think it was the opposite i i, I think he was on a lot of heroin <laughs> um, <laughs> um and open the pod by saying this is one of my favorite albums of all time i think that this is clearly clapton's pinnacle you mentioned before that you thought that it it kind of was a precursor to what he did afterwards but i don't think it i think it just degraded from this album because every time i hear anything from the 80s and beyond with clapton i i'm just so i I can't believe that he has the tone he uses in the 80s and 90s and he never he never did this stuff again in in my opinion in some ways it's like polished blues perfection it's not the raw like the the origin of the blues he's kind of even showing off on the album it's just it's just such a masterpiece of technicality of the masterment of his instrument, his emotions, everything. It's a masterpiece, this song and the whole album. Well, I mean, this is definitely where he started focusing more on songwriting and less on being like a guitar virtuoso. I mean, obviously the guitar playing is is great. He didn't stay on the like, I'm just going to try to be a virtuoso guitar player. He, He really transitioned into that with a little country rock vibe in there. You know, I think for me, the only issue with this song, and it's not an issue with the song at all, really. Yeah, I think, you know, if, as I've heard it to death, and that's obviously because it's that good. Um, well, at this point, of course, I mean, I, I don't think I could dispute that it's his best work. But it's really, I never put it on because I know I'm going to hear it at some point. So it's just one of those tunes. Where it's almost like some of the Tom Petty stuff, except I like it better than any Tom Petty stuff. It's one of those, it's almost like Elton John where clearly it's from the seventies, but it's not dated. It defines yeah. like the best stuff of the generation. Yeah, I don't I don't think it sounds dated at all. Yeah, I, I mean either. I think it sounds just like amazing guitar playing. I don't hold like when I say dated, I don't mean that in a negative sense. I feel like if you were alive in the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties and were really into music and you played this song, you'd be like early seventies. For sure. <laughs> It turned not, into just be, not just because of Bell Bottom, but because of I don't, there's some vibe to the song. It's excess. It's somebody who's pining after somebody else's wife and also just singing this very anguished song about a relationship that hasn't even happened yet. And just everything about it oozes 70s to me. Well, yeah, because it, as you said, it helped define what everybody did afterwards that's i mean that, yeah it's definitively 70s but that's the point is it it defined it what i'm mostly talking about in terms of like what defined like blues rock 
it was it's like tell the truth off of the layla and other love songs album like tell the truth when i hear that i'm like that's all the guys with three names the white guys with three names from uh blue on black kenny wayne shepherd kenny wayne shepherd <laughs> and uh, johnny lang stevie ray Vaughan. i think that's right. a good comp because stevie ray is so polished that's what this album is it's so high polished just amazing guitar playing and that's kind of what stevie ray Vaughan was this is more songwriting with great solos well, Stevie Ray is just like a virtuoso blues guitar player. He's making like blues songs famous again, like straight up. Because sure. this song isn't a blues. This isn't a one four five like blues song technically. Whereas most Stevie Ray's, a lot of Stevie Ray stuff is just a one four five. Give me the fucking ball. I'm gonna crush it. Speaking mm-hmm. of chord structure in this song, so it's in C, I believe. I don't it's know. It's in I the key of C. I haven't so messed with it. He, it's in the key of C. And <laughs> is it in C? Is it in C? I don't know. It's Definitively. In C. <laughs> I mean, I am pretty sure it is. But okay, assuming chorus, it's they, in C. Assuming but in you the just learned affirmation. So in the chorus, it goes to A. So what is is he changing? Like A major. Ch- yeah, A major. So what is he doing there? He's going to the parallel major of the relative minor. So what does uh. that mean? <laughs> well, the relative minor of C is A minor. Yeah, a, okay. And the parallel major of A minor is A major. He's going to a, he's going to the sixth chord, but he's going to major. Well, people do that kind of thing very because technically key change, very technically. That's what I was thinking. Is this a key change? Because singing it, playing it, and singing it, you have to change. I mean, what other songs can you think of that do that well, for the chorus? Songs do that all the time, where you go. You, no, it changes the key, but it doesn't modulate. The song doesn't like. I don't, I don't have to know that. I'd have to. I'd have to know the chords after that, because it kind of sounds like it stays wherever it goes for it. All through the mm-hmm. I don't want it there. But a bum bum sounds like it's coming back to bump back to somewhere else. But a lot of songs will do that, and that's part of the evolution of songwriting. And, and you're hearing like a little, not in a bad way, but almost kind of Walt Disney-ish, right? Where there's a little, there's a little sophistication in that songwriting, and that's what they're starting to get into with but with electric guitars and, and and blues rock instruments and okay those harmonies and such just as a singer that falsetto he pulls out is insane well, he's a badass singer he really like, is well, yeah this is his best singing of any Clapton song that I've ever heard this is his best just showing off a, a range that I had no idea he had I love the chorus, how they both sing it. Him and Bobby Whitlock are just screaming it. And the desperation is amazing. On the whole album, he uses that falsetto. This was the peak of his power. And it's it's so crazy how prolific he was during this time. He had just done The Blind Faith. Cream was only a couple years back. Derek and the Dominoes formed by playing a lot of the backing music for All Things Must Pass. So he's involved with powerhouse. Like there's like a three-year period. He was just crushing it. So well, I mean, he basically invented the supergroup, really, because every group well, he was in was a supergroup. Yeah, but he he made this band because he was tired of the supergroups. Like that's why he named it Derek and the Dominoes. He wanted it to be low key, just a rock band of buddies, and he was sick of Cream, Blind Faith, always being oh Clapton is God. This he just wanted some friends, and he did just cry, make his guitar weep. And this is pre Almond. This song is pre Almond joining the yeah which is a recording session yeah this so he song played is? all the guitar parts yes, yes he, he played yes. all the guitar on this and i've i've read he was in such a the throes of addiction during this album a lot of it i've i've heard uh, i read even this song specifically 
He played the solo like laying on the floor on his back. You can watch uh, also the Showtime documentary, uh, what is it, 12 Bars of Blues, the Clapton documentary. A Life in 12 Bars. A Life in 12 Bars. <laughs> Rough stuff. <laughs> what is it, 12 Bars of Blues? I don't know. Then it's 12 Bars of Blues. <laughs> 12 bars of blues. Is it in um, C? So it's in C. 12. <laughs> you don't know that it is what I say it is. It puts the song in C. Today when I was listening to the album, like, I heard Layla probably for the first time in two years. And I was like, oh, my God, this song is fucking amazing. Yeah. And, I, and, and I had gotten to the point with Layla of, like, Stairway to Heaven, where I was like, I'm done. I don't need to hear the song again for the rest of my life. And I had not heard it for years. And I heard it today. I was like, fucking Hey, man, That's my favorite singing of so his. Good. His singing on Layla, I prefer even to this. It's this such a good song. And yeah. everything yeah. about it is, is just perfect. And, and, and as you said earlier, like if you hear a song so much, as with relationships, coming back to Bell Bottom Blues, time gets you away from it, and you can kind of revisit it with like a clear head and remember, like, oh, yeah, this is an amazing song. You just feel like they... Um came out with a greatest hits album. I love the album title, just Assorted Love Songs, because that's exactly what it is. It, it's just such a unique title for an album. Yeah. Other than the songs Bobby Whitlock sings, the whole album is just excellent. Well, he sings Little Wing. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Does he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, I'm mostly talking about Thorn Tree in the Garden, but <laughs> just the last song on the album for some reason. So, so what's your what's your favorite part of the song, Jonathan? Uh, the pre-chorus. Do the, you want to the, see me crawl the, across? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, that's it's pretty fucking amazing. ridiculous. I mean, it's like, and to your point, you know, I mean, the stuff he did after this, which which I really love these days, like "Let It Rain," man. Like, there are songs that if someone wants to say they're better, by all means, that song is just so good. And then like "Motherless Children," like. Those tunes are my jam. So that just kind of set the course <laughs> for all this stuff. But that pre-chorus is that, that's like my favorite kind of clapped in. It's a hook yeah. without being, without aspiration. It's just him telling you his story in a compelling way. It's fucking great. Yeah, I'm glad you bl- brought that back because I thought you were going to say your favorite part of the song was Let It Rain. Uh, well, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's that like, that, it's like that it's that juice he has in the pre-chorus. When I hear that, it, it, like, it's the same thing he has in other songs where it's like, it's just like the perfect mix of rock and songwriting and just fucking like integrity, like as a musician. I mean, it's. Yeah. And like I brought up before, that's the part where they're singing together. They're just screaming. Do you want to see me crawl across the floor? I'll gladly, gladly do it. Just one more day. It's, it's amazing. But I, my favorite part, we haven't talked about it. I have to bring up the solo, just the, the the second half of the solo, those false harmonics, like give me chills. Just the way he's just so delicate. And the guitar playing in general, it's um it's very weepy. Like the guitar sounds like it's crying. I mean, that's a very cliche blues kind of thing, but it really does on this album. Another part I really enjoy is like the during the chorus when the guitar's just going no 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 in the background it almost sounds like a siren or something. I don't wanna die. And it's just like in the background it's doing that. There's one more thing I noticed, I don't know if you guys noticed upon listening, during the chorus, like that tomba drum in the background. It's there's some really crazy percussion going. Nice. You can hear like that Indian kind of drum in the background. It's really cool. Nice. It's very unique. So so my favorite part, other than the vocals, because I'm, I'm just so impressed by like how he sings his song, is there's three couplets 
if I could choose a place to die, it would be in your arms. I don't want to fade away. In your heart, I want to stay. And then earlier, I, I mentioned the, and if we do, don't be surprised if you find me, with, you know, I'm sure we're going to, this in a couplet, but I'm sure we're going to meet again. If we do, don't be surprised if you find me with another lover. I think those three ideas are so universal and so well put and so simplistic. And in terms of just talk about talent in the way that you can play guitar and make this song such like a, even though Rolling Stone in their original review called this a filler. Yeah, yeah. They on did. the album. And as we're talking about it, it's it's the reason I brought up this song. One of my favorite parts is also just that, that riff in the beginning. It's so unique. You never hear, it, it doesn't, you hear it and you can't, you can't wrap your head around exactly what he's doing. It's 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 a very unique blues riff. Um, and the thing about this song is there are so many compartmentalized parts. There's so many. It's very complex. Yeah, there's a lot going on. It's really interesting to note that like he quit the Yardbirds right when they started getting super pop and famous because he was like, I'm not trying to be in a pop band. I want to be in a blues band. You know, I, mean, I think after uh, For Your Love or one of those tunes, it was really a cool song. You know, like he quit because he yeah. was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. So talking about integrity and someone who still writes great songs and they're, and they're famous because everyone loves them, not because they were trying to write a hit. But the other thing, I, I, I will go ahead and say that I, I do feel like the, the lyrics are a little melodramatic. I mean, I, they're cool. I think they're from the point of view of someone who's not actually in a relationship or someone who's at trying to win someone's love, like someone, frankly, they shouldn't be. And so I feel like it kind of feels like it's, it feels a little, uh, Peppy the Pewish, but I could see that. That being said, I'm not putting it down because once again, it's, he breathes such life into him that they're, they're clearly great. And I wouldn't change the lineup. I, I, Fair enough. I think that that's why this song succeeds is because it is so melodramatic, and like I pointed out, he pulls out every trait. He's just like, I'll do anything. But you're kind of like, all right, dude, get your shit together. But he just, he's so sad and just like, he's in such a point of just anguish that it, it really, it, it comes onto the record. You know, I think we did, we talked about the Everly Brothers a couple of weeks ago, and that was a perfect song. The one thing that I had a problem with in this song, and Neil, you, I know you said you liked it earlier, is I didn't like the harmonies. I really I like Whitlock's harmonies. Yeah, not, I, I thought they were a little sloppy, and I, I didn't think what, they worked. What, do you, what harmonies? The, I don't want to fade away in the song. I don't want to fade away. Like I, I didn't. I thought oh, his no, harmony. No, and, and I'm they talking. I get what they were going for. I mean, it wasn't like perfect harmony. It was a little sloppy. It was a little like uh, uh, that was the only part of the song I could find any fault with. Yeah, well, and and what I was talking about was when they're singing together. Do you want to see me crawl across the floor? Not, yes. not necessarily, I don't want to fade away, yes, but it is, it's not perfect like the Everly Brothers, but it's it's sloppy and sad, like, you won't find a better loser, they're fucking losers. I think it's unnecessary. <laughs> Which, by the way, how, how have we not brought up that line? That's I don't amazing. know, the, the, first of all, those <laughs> harmonies are awesome, and here's the difference, is those harmonies, you can pull off live in the middle of a full-on fucking concert and, and do them just like that, like, it's, it's that, it's just going for the moment, it's not, you know, and where the Everly Brothers, it's cool, but like... Like with the Everly Brothers, the only downside is every time you hear it, it's going to be exactly that way. Whereas with these guys, they're just going out there belting it out, and like I love the character of it. Yeah, they're they're not even trying to harmonize. They're just they're just kind of. I mean, there's a harmony, but it's not it's not yeah. Simon and Garfunkel. It's not the Everly Brothers. Yeah, they, yeah. yeah I mean, they're... I would just say own multiple listens, like listening to it every on a daily basis. That's the one thing that stuck out to me is other than Bell Bottom being in the song, 
that's the one thing that stuck out to me is. But I think that's the thing, kind of like what we were saying earlier about like not not polishing all the the identity out of it, right? I mean, it's just that kind of. Sure, I I I can see the character thing. I mean, it's not a it's not like a deal breaker, you know. I'm not gonna. But go you're to, saying I'm you would change. Not it. You're, you're saying if you're producing, if you're producing, it'd be like if you're producing, it'd be like let's do that again. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? If you're guys, producing, let's if, take five. Yeah, like, let's come back and uh, do that. Uh, let's go work on this. Um, that. So so influences. So Johnny, if. So this is the under the influence section. <laughs> oh, clearly, actually, the band, the band was a big influence on him, transitioning from Cream to this stuff because he wanted to be in the band. He wanted to join the band, and I heard that. And so th- that was definitely that. a big influence where he was getting away from just being like the guitar god. To your point, I mean, everything that came after it, be it like the Allman Brothers or like Leonard Skinner or then like in you know the Black Crows. You also hear his um. George Harrison's fucking influence on songwriting in this stuff because of that descending sure. yeah. half step. Yeah, so just back he's like, his thinks, album. Yeah. I'm think I'm gonna use your fucking great skill to try to seduce your wife with some you could, melodrama. <laughs> yeah. You um, can almost say this is like a while my guitar gently weeps too. To well, his and fucking, Clapton played the solo right, on right, that right. song. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Like this song is the quintessential, or this song and this album, quintessential weeping guitar. The whole album is filled with it. Yeah, I mean, it definitely helps to spend a lot of time with the Beatle, right? To Harrison's eternal wisdom and patience and walking the fucking walk, he referred to him and Clapton as husbands-in-law. Yeah. Which is... <laughs> he was that cool That's how dude. cool... He's like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's like, what else, right? If you reach that level of fame and you're just... No, it is never okay for your friend to fucking seduce your wife. That is never fine. <laughs> I don't give a I shit. I mean, you got to be pretty chill. To, I, to, it doesn't to matter how famous that, you are. That's sure. never... It's like, oh, All we're... things must pass. <laughs> right. All right, Neil, Neil recommendations, influences. Peter Green died today. Uh, I would listen to some early Fleetwood Mac. That's definitely the same amazing white blues. <laughs> so good. And, and just... Clapton in general, like the stuff he was doing right around this time, he it was such a an amazing time for him. Just the blind faith stuff that came right before this that is a little trippier. And I would just uh, recommend listening to the entire album. It's such an experience, and it's my one of my favorites of all time. Layla and other love songs, one of the best albums of all time, in my opinion. Listen to John Mayall, Blues Breakers, or yeah, yeah. Blues Breakers, yeah, yeah, Yardbirds, anything Clapton touched. I mean, he is one of the with Hendrix and Bloomfield in the early 60s as like the three guitar gods and he really you know I mean he was fucked up and he made a career out of just being a guitar god I mean like he was one of those guys that took the bluesman sound and just made something of it and he's one of the people who redefined the blues and you know his his stature is, is well deserved and dive into his music when you look at Clapton's talents it's fucking stupefying you have a guy who's as good a guitar player as Peter Green, who has songs as good as Fleetwood Mac with Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham, and, <laughs> and sings as well as Elton John. And I love yeah. Hendrix, and Hendrix is actually a more profound effect on my life. But in terms of, like, he's been an icon yeah. my whole life. He, he's never not been an icon. And this is yeah. arguably his best project. Yeah. Yeah, and but I mean he has so much good stuff. I mean he's he's one of those guys we've talked about before that just have had so many peaks in their career. I mean John Mayall and the Blues Breakers, which was where he was um dubbed Clapton as God, to Cream, to Blind Faith Supergroup, this amazing group, and then to into the seventies, and then he had the resurgence with Unplugged in the nineties and the uh, Tears in Heaven, which and 
I look up to Clapton. He's as a guitar player, he's been my uh, number one. Even though I don't think he's the best, I think he's such a a professional. He's just been so good at every part of it, from singing to songwriting to guitar playing to being such a great musician throughout the years and just and going through all the foils that most people did too and. Uh, a lot of people died or just lost their mojo. But, you know, in that 12 bar, uh, uh, life in 12 bars, he said he thought about committing suicide, but that meant he wouldn't ever get to drink again. So he didn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which such is a crazy thing. Awful. The thing with Clapton, and because, you know, Neil, when you and I, we saw him at the Hollywood Bowl with Steve Winwood, when I saw that, I was like, the thing that really that made me realize what great what greatness is in any instrument, when he plays... You hear music. You don't hear even. You don't even think about someone playing the guitar. It's just like with a great story. You don't think about spelling or words. When he plays, you just hear music. That is 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 the magic, man. I mean, that's there are so few people who do that because most so many people boil it down to licks and notes and this and that. But when Clapton plays, it's just music. Yeah, and I think you know what you guys have just wrapped up is that. We've been talking about a master on this episode. You know, a master yeah. at a specific thing that is maybe was, if you watch uh, the blues doc on Showtime, was not super comfortable in life, but was so good and, and so talented at one thing and, and interpreting a, a sound from across the ocean into new ways for people to, to enjoy. And for this, as we, Neil and I have discussed, and Jonathan, I think you somewhat agree with, that this is the pinnacle of that for him as an artist, then, yeah, listen to this album. And Yeah, and and, and I mentioned before how I was so disappointed in his like guitar tone after this. When we did see him at the Hollywood Bowl, I was so surprised by how great he sounded, how... His, his tone was amazing. I think it was also because he was with Winwood. He was going back to that Hammond organ blues. Like It wasn't the uh, 24 Nights Super Cheese <laughs> 90s You do not like that, which I still like some of that <laughs> stuff. I still well, he, no. Everything got more refined. You know, it wasn't as raw. A couple rounds. Just like name a, a Clapton song that's not as hyper-famous that you dig, that people, someone should hear. Like, like okay. for me, like Let It Rain. Mean Old World. Mm-hmm. That could be. Well, cool. I was. I would have said motherless children, but you mentioned that already. That's all right. So, but yeah. there's another one. No, no, there's another one that I love. Oh, lay down, Sally. Lay down, Sally is fucking great. Fucking dude, running on faith. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a goddamn um, good song. And I, I love that. Uh, the song, the first song off of uh, the Blind Faith album. What's that called? The the one he opened the show uh, with that we went to the. Oh yeah, is that can't find my way? No, that's, had to um, had to cry today. Had to cry today. Yeah, yeah. Presence of the Lord is fucking incredible. Okay, everyone, listen to Eric Clapton. Bell bottom blue. You made me cry I don't want to lose this feeling and If I could choose A place to die 
take me back I gladly do it Cause I don't wanna fade away Give me one more day please I don't wanna fade away In your arms I long to stay It's all wrong But it's alright that you treat me, baby Once I was strong But I lost the fight And you won't find a better loser Do you want to see me crawl across the floor to you? Do you want to hear me beg Take me back. I gladly do it because I don't want to fade away. Give me one more day, please. I don't want to fade away. In your arms, I long to stay.
next week is my week, and we are going to listen to, we're going to talk about Sharon Van Etten's 17, and that's the tune we're going to talk about. Can't wait! <laughs>